0: You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked on NBA Thursday edition, or Locked on NBA, staying daily through the offseason. For all you diehard NBA fans, there is no offseason on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm David Locke, Sam Amick of The Athletic. Joining me today and a bunch of fun things to talk about, little FIBA. We'll get the latest view on the Rockets and Russell Westbrook, because that's like the ongoing debate at all times. But I actually want to start kind of on a philanthropic level. Sam, you've been in this league, you and I both a long time. The other day, Steph Curry launches the Howard Golf Program. Five-year commitment, I think it was. Just incredible. Kawhi Leonard gives away a million backpacks. Uh, What what do you think has led to this? This group in the NBA, the modern athlete today, other sports involved as well, is so incredibly philanthropic and so incredibly involved in the community at a way different level than past generations. I mean, as you go to the Jordan, Malone, Barkley, that era maybe weren't making as much money either, but it wasn't a part of the DNA of the culture then to immerse yourself the way these guys are in the culture and society. What's your thought on why this is happening?
1: It's a great question, David.
0: And as always, thanks for having me. It's been a long time, buddy. Hope
1: you're having a good summer. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of layers to it. You know, I I do think that there reached a point and I don't know the genesis of this or kind of where the growth and the conversation originated at the very beginning, but there's a sense within the NBA that there's a, a definite social responsibility that comes not only with the fame and the spotlight and the profile, but with the good old fashioned economics and the cash. And these guys do make a lot of money and they are aware, a lot of them, if not all of them of the kind of impact they can make in communities all over the world. Not, not even, this is not an America thing. Uh, you know, the, the league is so international at this point and you know, it's global impact. And I think, you know, you, you definitely have to give credit to the league itself for essentially partnering with players on a, on a routine basis and having a system that encourages, you know, this type of philanthropic stuff. And you're talking about NBA cares and what they do, but, you know, you also have to make sure you give a ton of props to the players because you have stuff that is, you know, part of the system. And then you have acts of kindness happening all the time that are just player driven and just, you know, independent choices they make to make a difference. But Um, you know, I don't know, but I like it. I like it a lot. And I know we're going to talk about a few of the specific different things going on, but you know, the Kawhi Leonard stuff was really cool. Um, the, the Steph Curry thing is deep, not only because of the history of that Howard program and how they lost their golf program. And, but I mean, he's not even a Howard guy. I thought what was cool about the Steph story is that, you know, it kind of sends this message like, yeah, don't just take care of your alma mater. Like, just think about, where you can make a difference even in other places. So all kinds of good stuff going on.
0: I mean, we saw it last year in Utah, and you wrote an article about it on The Athletic. It's not just like, so Joe Ingalls' kid gets diagnosed with autism, and the reaction was, let's go. Like, okay, that's that's my role. That's my, I've got a platform. Let's go. And they've been, he and Renee have been amazing about this in how much they've embraced and what they've done. So it's one, on one level, it's personal. On other levels, it's LeBron building a school in his hometown. It, it doesn't seem to have barriers, and it doesn't seem to be the same by everyone. It's just this idea we're going to be involved culturally, politically, socially, and philanthropically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think they've been doing it for long enough now, that there is a bit of a butterfly effect that is fun to watch. Cause I, I think they're not only changing individual situations. You, you mentioned LeBron school in his hometown of Akron, you know, it's not just those kids who by the way, are not only, you know, getting a nice kind of effort from LeBron in terms of the charity, but that school by all accounts is just extremely high level getting a great education, but it's just the, the ideas attached to these efforts seem to be spreading, Um, and honestly, even as a guy who covers the league and has for a long time, like, these guys have uh, impacted, you know, some of my own views. They've impacted um, the way I think. One of my favorite parts of this job, um, maybe my favorite, is the idea that I'm a white guy who grew up in the suburbs, and up until about the age of 18, I think I definitely lacked perspective from a lot of different communities, and so in a lot of ways, I represent – your common NBA fan, it's still, you know, a very white audience, um, a very mainstream audience and a middle-class audience. And, you know, one of my favorite parts of the job is just this constant learning about all these guys and their backgrounds and what they came from and then seeing them, you know, come out of those backgrounds, do great things. And and I think that changes people. And I know, you know, it might sound corny, but I do believe in it. And, uh, and kudos to all of them. They're doing some great work.
0: Well, it's interesting. And, and then we'll move back onto the court and some of those kind of things. I go back to my, the two locker, the you know, I've spent time as Utah jazz locker room in the Stockton Malone era, the Seattle supersonics locker room in the Ray Allen era. And then, and Peyton era. And now, now like Ray Allen wanted to talk cultural stuff every day. He, he, but he but, was different in that sense. Like he, he actually would talk to us as reporters. I think, he might disagree with this because he didn't have a lot of teammates that were going to engage in that conversation with him. Now I walk into a locker room and Donovan Mitchell's talking to Tabo Cephalosha about all this different stuff. And, you know, Ricky Rubio's talking about the, what, well, Caledonia's freedom movement away from Spain. And Rudy Gobert's got his, I mean, it's an incredible difference to just who these guys are as well and where they are. So I I don't know what your point of the butterfly. It might frankly go back to LeBron. Like I I don't know who it is. I'm really, that's the thing that I've been trying to figure out is like, when did this happen and how did it happen? I've got that. It's happened now, but I'm wondering now a little bit like in retrospect, like, wow, what did I miss? What changed? Where did this all happen? And maybe it was just the money and and the access, or maybe it was something that LeBron set the tone.
1: Yeah, LeBron, I think I'm with you on the LeBron front. I think that he definitely, you know, reached a point where he realized the power of his voice. And to be honest, um, to to give, you know, justified props to a colleague of mine who just did an incredible project. um, Have you listened to the uh, ESPN 30 for 30 podcast that Ramona Shelburne did on the the Donald Sterling case?
0: I have not yet. I've been. I have not yet. So, So, uh,
1: no, it's fine. I mean, listen, you lived it like everybody else. Uh, It was incredibly well done. But in that podcast series, uh, Mark Spears, obviously also of ESPN, he kind of points to one specific event that I think maybe could have been the beginning of it, at least as it pertains to LeBron. Um, I I think it was 2007-ish. LeBron gets asked about um, the Chinese government's role and the genocide happening in, in Darfur. And he essentially passes because he wasn't educated on the topic at the time. Um, you know, you could argue he got put in a tough spot where he just, he, he basically said, I got to read more, I, I got to learn more about it. Um, it. It sparked some tough headlines about how, because one of his teammates, and admittedly I'm, I'm trying to remind myself here of, of how it all went down, but I Renewable had drafted an open letter to the Chinese government Um, and I'm now reading off an old media piece, you know, condemning its role in ongoing genocide in Darfur. so LeBron was kind of put on that stage, asked to say something and, and essentially shot an air ball because he he didn't know. Now that's a tough one in my opinion, but nonetheless, he has, I I think since then talked about the idea that that kind of, you know, put him in a different space where he realized that even if it's not, you know, something that he was an expert on previously, that but, uh, you know, just to have his eyes open and his ears open as much as possible to different injustices that happen. And, and not to speak on everything, because, you know, there, there's a debate to be had here about, you know, the sometimes the distance between how educated certain people just in society are to speak on certain things and the level of their profile. Fine. But his voice has a ton of power. And since then, the stuff that we remember in a much more positive light, is that, you know, when Trayvon Martin gets killed the Miami Heat, you know, LeBron ends up posting that picture of uh, all the Heat players with their, their hoods over their heads. And that stuff is powerful, and that stuff impacts society, and it kept growing from there. You know, next thing you know, you've got, you know, the, uh, the Banana Boat boys on stage at the Espies, you know, talking about social injustice, and, and that's another memorable moment. So these guys have figured it out in the last, you know, eight to ten years, just the part they play in, in culture.
0: I don't know if you've gotten to know Eric Woodyard yet who writes for the covers, the jazz, the desert news, incredible kid. I guess he's older. He's probably 30 now. So he's not quite as young. Uh, But really great guy uh, out of Flint, Michigan. He actually went to the Trayvon Martin moment. He thinks that's the moment he said. Yeah. Like that's the moment. So great point on your part. Sam. Well, that's where
1: you, yeah. yeah. Like, I think that's where, that's where LeBron figured it out. You know what I mean? Like, there was maybe a little stumbling before that, and then you know he learns, he evolves a little bit like him as a player, right? Like all these guys, well, and and then you have this version, which I think is pretty damn good.
0: Well, if you take the four most recognizable players we've had recently, all right, I'll get to that in a second. Well, final thought on this in a, just a second. Uh, the four most the four most recognizable players in the league. Have dic- may have dictated this. We may have touched on something. Uh, if you're having a long day at work, still stuck at the office, open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat. Your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners get five dollars off their first order of fifteen dollars or more when you download the DoorDash app. Enter the promo code Locked On. Michael Jordan was allergic to anything that put him out there. Allen Iverson right. was the next most recognizable player in the league, had his e- issues previously and was not going to be able to cross cultures. Kobe Bryant had, was the next one, had the rape charge. LeBron was the first one who s- went out on this Trayvon Martin and this other stuff, went out that far and said to everyone else, come with me. That That's... That's what the Trayvon Martin thing was. It was the first time since well, probably not Kareem, only that, go back to Kareem doing it, but in an era that wasn't listening.
1: Yeah. Well, and certainly the, the decibel level is so much different social media, the internet, everything that comes with it takes these voices so much farther, so much quicker. Um, and I think the other thing to not gloss over there is that LeBron, if he had misstepped at different points uh, in, in any shape or fashion at all in his personal life in terms of, you know, the, the terrible headlines, the type of stuff that takes credibility away, then you lose some of that power. And, you know, this doesn't get said enough. I mean, this guy has been the most famous basketball player or, you know, at least highest profile in the world since about, you know, the time that he was, you know, 18, 19, even before that, one of the most famous going back to 13, 14 and, you know, and has become the kind of person he is and, and not, you know, had the kind of missteps to where, you know, when people hear your voice, they don't take you seriously. And and that's not a small thing. I mean, credibility matters a lot and he has retained his because of the way that he, he kind of, you know, handles himself.
0: The FIBA World Cup is going on right now. I mean, this has always been this interesting discussion. We had Cuban kind of being the first one didn't want to let Dirk play many years back uh, but yet the track record on most of it is that the guys come back and play better, like there was the Olympic bump bump kind of known about for a long time. What are you hearing around the league in regards to what the teams think of their guys playing these international games?
1: You know, I think a lot of support. Um, I mentioned to you off air that, you know, I'm, I'm not writing as much these days just because it's the, the dog days of summer, but I do have a piece coming out Pretty soon, within the next few days, an uh, uh, interview with Clint Snyder, your beloved jazz coach, who uh, was nice enough to give me about 20 minutes last week, talking about his team and, you know, Donovan Mitchell on Team USA, Joe Ingles on Australia, Rudy Gobert with France, and, and not only talking about the jazz, but sharing his perspective on the question you just asked, like, how do NBA teams see international play in 2019 and what i thought was super interesting about our conversation was um, how do you handle it as an organization kind of you know schematically and to keep your hands on these guys to get as much intel as possible about you know this is the era of load management so you know how much is a joe engels 31 years old now so how much work is he doing now that is you know would not have been doing otherwise and how should that change his program in training camp these are i mean joe's going to come into camp having essentially a different itinerary than the rest of his teammates based on what took place during this tournament. Same thing, you know, Donovan's 22 years old, so he's a little different, but same idea. The Jazz are sending a, a, quite a few staff members to all these different locations. They, they were in Vegas, they were in L.A., they were in Australia, they're going to be in China. Um, so I think that, for the most part, is probably more the norm than it is the exception with a lot of these NBA teams. So... Um, it's always been a debate, right? Like, does the international play help or hurt these guys during the NBA season? Did the, the bump, I think, in the past has been real. But then you also have just the reality and the tougher to quantify ripple effect of um, just the health and the wear and tear and the fact that, you know, this was going to be a downtime for them or at least a time to ramp up their conditioning and just come into camp in shape. And instead, you know, you have a super competitive FIBA World Cup field, where a bunch of these guys are going to be legitimately fighting for a gold medal. So, you know, I, I kind of love it. The other uh, real quick is that this is unique this time around um, in that I don't know if, if we have ever had FIBA uh, one summer before the Olympics. So it's even more problematic than normal for these NBA teams. Cause typically there's a, a year gap in between and that's not the case this time around.
0: No, we have not. And that's, Also, why a lot of these guys have stepped aside. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons, but that's probably the biggest reason why these guys have all stepped aside. All right, let's get on to the NBA season. I feel like I am regularly digesting who the Houston Rockets are going to be. A bunch of analytics numbers came out, 538, Kevin Pelton's work, all had the Rockets on top. What's your thought on where what what's going to happen as you've had some more time to digest it? And by the mm. way, if anyone's interested, Locked On Fantasy Basketball launched their season previews, and the Rocket preview was yesterday's show uh, with Ben Debose and Josh. So just get the perspective there from another angle. But what's your what's your feeling right now on the Rockets?
1: I uh, it's interesting to hear the the analysis that you referenced. I had not seen that, so uh, I'm, I'm trying to cheat here and pull it up. So. Where did where did Mister Pelton have? Uh, and I certainly respect Kevin. Where did he end up having the Rockets? I think
0: he had the Rockets at number one, if I if I remember correctly. We had wow. him, he, we had him wow. last week's uh, last week's Thursday edition of Locked On NBA was with Pelton, um, and so he, you know, if you want to hear his ex, uh, you know, breakdowns and all those kind of things, uh, but I think he had. Houston and Denver, if I remember correctly, at 54 wins, considerably ahead of everyone else. Clippers and Jazz next, largely because his system projects games played, and he had Kawhi and Mike Conley in the 60s.
1: Okay, yeah. I mean, the Kawhi thing, I can't blame him. Mike Conley is, uh, you know, I mean, the Kawhi thing is deliberate, and so that's very possible. The Mike Conley thing is fair based on – the past but you know that also doesn't mean that he couldn't go out and, and give you 78 this year um the other thought is that the paul george factor is big with the clippers i think we're still as we get closer to training camp we have to kind of like reinsert into the narrative the idea that paul is not expected to be there at the beginning and, and could be out for quite some time as he you know keeps getting healthy from that shoulder situation so That's a factor because if you're just talking, you know, regular season handicapping in terms of records, but in terms of title contenders and talent and and the way I see it, I mean, I do think you have five, six teams that could be right there. uh, If I have to pick one, I think I'm a Clippers guy at the moment. Um, You know, the Lakers thing is interesting because, uh, you know, I, I actually think that a Marcus Cousins injury kind of removes a situation that might not have helped them. So I don't know how that looks. The other funny thing is, as I tried to cheat here and look at ESPN's uh, Pelton coverage, they also have a category that says, uh, who is the NBA's next team in turmoil? And they all voted the Rockets number one. So, like, the Rockets are, they're, they're going to be compelling. And I think we're going to be watching them closely, reading about them a lot, writing about them a lot. They just, I, I mean, I, I was fine with the move when it went down. And I love the idea that James and Russ are legitimate friends. Who it's anytime you have stars where their stories are kind of you know combine at a time when there is a shared goal and there's a shared objective and their agendas I think you know can fall in line enough to create something pretty good I think that's a, a positive thing I think that's what they have here now I don't think that means they're going to be raising the Larry O'Brien Trophy but um, I think it's going to be good and I think they can yell at each other in the kind of way that James and Chris you know, James and Chris always claim they're very tight, but Chris is just, you know, maybe the toughest teammate in the league. You know what I mean when it comes to the way he's wired and the way he operates. And he doesn't, you know, the ears by all accounts are not always open, and it's and it's his way or the highway type of thing. And that's hard when it's James Harden's team. So, you know, as, as hard headed as Russ can be, I think, you know, that that probably works. So, you know, I think they'll be fun to watch, but uh, it'll be it'll be good theater.
0: I'm opening up to this more and more. And so I, I've been very critical of Russ. I, I do, you know, my numbers are my numbers. They they simply show that last year he was the most negatively impactful player on his team. Like, uh, of any player in the whole league. Um, that's like, I mean, that's a fact. He's just that inefficient. But... And so I've always felt if he's the lead dog that 47, 48, 49 wins is your limit. And first round and out is evidently your limit. But he's not the lead dog anymore. And the lead dog is awesome. Right. And so right. that that's opened it up for me a lot on what I think. And I think he'll be more efficient, not have to carry his load. And Mike will do it a hell of a job with him.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and how about this? This is the psychological part of the game that, that I always enjoy because we can't, get in between these guys ears is where is Russ at in his own mind, which is to say, like, you know, let's just kind of lay this out a little bit here. You're in OKC and Kevin Durant says, I'm out. I'm not feeling it going to the Warriors. So you got to take those tough headlines. The narrative begins that guys don't want to play with you. You know, you get your team to the playoffs without Kevin. You average a triple double great you had your singular individualistic moment that will go down in the history books but ultimately you still you know bowed out in the first round and it is what it is then you, you think that you told the world the guys do want to play with you because you get Paul George and you get him to stay but now he bounces he's out I I think also like I wonder if the the Carmelo experience changed Russ at all because it's like you talk about that that saying of just life comes at you fast, right? Like Mello comes under their roof in OKC, and I was there at media day. uh, You know when Mello was there, and they're all taking these pictures. it's PG and Mello and Russ are the, the new big three, and Mello sits in front of the media. And when he's asked about coming off the bench, that's when he made that comedy He laughs. He sees Paul in the back of the room, and he's like, "Yo, P, talking about me coming off the bench," and he's laughing because it's hilarious, right? Because Mello could never come off the bench. Mm-hmm. Russ. Witnesses that. Witnesses a guy who's at that time, like his stature was in one place. And then it's just like, my God, fast forward six months, fast forward a year, can't get a job. You know, he's he's out of the league right now. If you're Russ, you know, it's nothing that extreme. He's still in the, the later stages of his prime. But if that kind of stuff impacts him, what if Russ decides that I'm going to now – evolve i'm now going to be a different version where i do yield to james and i do defend like a dog on defense and i do you know do all the little things that you know he kind of did his freshman year at ucla to get people's attention when he didn't even know what kind of player he was you know what i mean like this guy remains a freak athlete that certainly we hope can stay healthy with all the different knee issues that he's had um and i think he probably knows how important this this chapter is when it comes to the way that he's going to be remembered
0: a misunderstanding and a quibble with something Sam just said as we continue. Locked on Fantasy Basketball, I mentioned it just a second ago. Uh, the season previews have started. Great episode on breakout candidates in the West and the East. They are all back starting October. Excuse me, August 21st and through. He's previewing all the NBA teams on Locked on Fantasy Basketball. Make sure you grab it. So I have one thought and one quibble to what you just said. My quibble is whether or not Russ really is still an elite athlete. Like, he's 30 years old with multiple knee surgeries. And, um, like, you know, like, he's he plays harder than everyone else. His motor's elite. But I wonder a little bit of whether or not he's still an elite athlete. Um, he did get to the rim 36% of the time last year, which is just an insanely high number and is higher than his regular number uh, his career number and he did finish at the rim at a much high, at, i think the highest level ever of his career last year which is incredible because it tells you how incredibly awful he was on everything else um so to that point i think you know he there aren't well, what a are what are we quibbling side. about then <laughs> well I, I mean his dunks were way down i don't know i just think i'm not convinced at some he's 31, he's played 28,000 minutes, he's got three knee surgeries. I'm just not sure that elite athlete defensive player you mentioned right there is actually still in the cards.
1: Yeah, I mean, the lateral movement, That I mean, what he can do on defense, that's fair. Uh, I, I'm admittedly partly reacting to, like, you know, the, the visceral way that he plays on offense and the fact that all I know is he's still, you know, getting his head above the rim and he's still dunking it like he's mad at the rim. And he still, you know, just looks like he's a guy who's a step ahead. Now, you know, time is catching up. One of my favorite games watch uh, that I watched last year was when OKC came to Sacramento and De'Aaron Fox was feeling himself early on uh, during that season and, like, actually talking trash to the Thunder bench about how De'Aaron was basically saying, I'm the fastest dude in the NBA. So it's like the young guns are trying to nip at your heels. And, and so, yeah, I mean, Russ isn't that guy anymore. But, you know, I think he's – Got some of that left. I don't know how much, but uh, you know, it, it doesn't look like a massive drop off in t- in terms of the eyeball test for me.
0: I think he might be the other one. Is I think he's the most misunderstood guy in the league. I really, I really feel as though if anyone is going to stand up there and have a gripe, I know his whole stupid thing he did with uh, the reporter in Oklahoma has not helped yeah. him any. But he got blasted for Durant's departure out of OKC. Now that Durant's left Golden State, do we don't we need to maybe reconsider what? Our thoughts on Russ and, you know, I don't think Ennis Kander is a model that I want to be endorsing me on a lot of things, but I mean, he came out recently. And was like, that's the best teammate I've ever had. Carmelo basically said the same thing. Paul George basically said the same thing. Um, I think it's interesting. I, the he was, he's flashy with his dress. We all thought he was big city. He was the first guy willing to stay in Oklahoma city, just with his tightly confined family. I think he's about as misrepresented as anyone in the league.
1: Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna fairly firmly disagree. I mean, I've had moments. I, I think highly of Russ and a, for a lot of different reasons. And listen, it's, these guys don't have to cooperate with the media. They are expected to spend certain time with the media and interact with the media. Uh, I I don't know. The misunderstood thing, it's probably not that simple. It's probably a little more nuanced. Um, there's merit to some of the stuff you're saying. The Durant thing, it's like okay. I don't know. How do we relitigate that? Because sure, he left, but he also went out and got two championships and almost got a third if he didn't get hurt. He was successful and he interacted like for all the drama, like he was a two-time Finals MVP who functioned basketball-wise at an extremely high level within the context of that group and ultimately achieved a lot of the things that he went to the Warriors to achieve. Um, the you know the other stuff, Paul says that he loves Russ. It's not that I don't believe it but actions speak louder than words. Paul also bounced and Paul left and and he left in a fairly aggressive fashion, like forcing a trade. And really in hindsight, now we know that when he agreed to stay and he resigned in free agency, that there had clearly been conversations about if it doesn't, you know, go in the right direction next season, let's revisit this. And I might want to look at other options. Like it was about as kind of tentative as a, uh, a commitment as you can have in free agency. The thing with Russ, it, it's not, I mean, it's, it's not just a thing with Barry Trammell, the columnist at the Oklahoman. It's, it's a constant every single day thing. And some of it is staff members and the way he treats them It's you know, or treated them in OKC. It's, I mean, it's, it's a lot. And it, only he knows why he feels comfortable kind of wearing two hats where you can be the guy who is an incredible family guy. And, and you know, you see his social media. Like, I wish we could get the guy uh, in the locker room that I see on social media. His social media is some of my favorite to track in the whole league. Cause he'll be in the car singing, you know, to different songs. And it's just like happiness and joy and a cool spirit and things like that, you know, or with, I forget how many kids he has, but, um, at least one, certainly his son he's got two. and, you know, he has a two and, you know, being a dad, uh, being with his wife. So there's a ton to admire, but in terms of just the, the way that he's chosen to interact, only he knows why he's done that it. it's not just Barry like he's been fine to me we've never had any problems um but he he, he the, the level of control that he has demanded that he has in that environment uh during the OKC chapter was incredible i mean it was it was a low key version of kobe you know in, in lakerland it just didn't get as much attention because it was out in oklahoma city and and i would probably argue maybe even unhealthier um so I don't know if misunderstood. There's, you know, again, there's a discussion there, but uh, it was a tough a tough run in that regard.
0: Final thing for Sam Amick of The Athletic. What do you think Steph Curry does this year?
1: Interesting question. Um, I mean, I think he goes off. I think he gets toward the 400 three-pointer version of Steph and the unanimous MVP, but it's like a – instant and massive qualifier because you just cannot overstate the importance of um, how is he going to function with D'Angelo Russell alongside him because Clay's going to be out for most of the year. And that's the part where I I think you probably have to knock down Steph's potential individually by 20 to 25% right out the gate just based on the fact that it's a five-man game. And that what happened in his unanimous MVP year was incredible, but it also happened in the context of years and years of experience where Steph and clay had figured out how they wanted to handle defensive assignments. You know, they, in the Mark Jackson era, they had gone through times when, when clay was always going to take, you know, the alpha male on the other side, the other team's point guard and, and take pressure off Steph. Then Steph did go through a time where he wanted some of those challenges and they, they switched that up a little bit, but, The way that he defended, uh, you know, in conjunction with Clay was a big thing. The way that offensively Clay obviously spreads the floor and and takes heat off of him. D'Angelo is not going to spread the floor like that. Um, you know, it's just not, not the kind of shooter that Clay is. Nobody is, but D'Angelo is not even close. So that's the stuff where is it going to be, you know, a a more subdued Steph, you know, God forbid maybe the 300 three pointer version because he's got to work through this stuff and figure out, you know, how it looks with
0: that new guy he is sam amick you can read him in the athletic some of the time now during the season it's unbelievable make sure you grab it right now he's allowed to breathe a little
1: bit
0: <laughs> hope you had a great trip to europe i enjoyed all your snaps your beatles abbey road shots all your fun stuff i'm stalking you so uh
1: fun, all good fun, all good fun I, I, I love it every time i hear that people live vicariously through our little big kids we had a great time
0: well great he's sam amick make sure you grab him in the athletic this is locked on nba remember locked on fantasy basketball's got all the great season previews adam and anthony will be with you tomorrow it is locked on nba part of the locked on podcast network